Good morning, Keystone. Good to be with you all again on a Sunday. Um, I want you to, to think with me to start out for a moment about a question. Uh, here's the question. What is one of the most interesting places you have stayed at before in your life? So this could be an Airbnb that you've stayed at. Uh, this could be someone else's home you've stayed at. It could be a hotel you've stayed at. It could be a campground you've stayed at. Anywhere at all. As you think about some of the different places you've stayed over your life, what is one of the most interesting places you've stayed at before? What, what, when I think about that question, there's a place that immediately jumps to mind for me. Uh, my wife and I stayed in a caboose, uh, not at the caboose motel in Strasburg, uh, but in the middle of California one time when we were traveling in California. My brother lives out there, and so we were going out for his wedding and kind of made it into a trip. And what made this one of the most interesting places we stayed at was not just that it was a caboose, which was interesting, but also that it was on a compound in the middle of the Mojave Desert, along with like a oasis, uh, a pack of roaming peacocks, uh, and a very eccentric host that wanted to show us kind of all around her property. And so it continually sticks out in my mind. That's probably one of the most interesting homes or places we've stayed at. I think when we view other people's homes, whether it's on Airbnb or maybe on Zillow or just as we're driving by, often the lens through which we view other people's homes is what would it be like to stay there or live there, right? So we think about other people's homes, see them, maybe see pictures. Of, what would it be like to stay there or live there? Now, I want to flip that question around and I want to ask, how do you view your own home. How do you view your own home where you live currently? Whether you own it or rent it, the place that you call home right now. What's the lens through which you view your home? Do, do you only view it as a type of private refuge where you go to be alone or be with your family? Or do you also view it as a place to welcome other people into and get to know them? What, what, what type of dreams do you have for your home? Do those dreams only consist of renovations and updates that you might do? Or do those dreams also consist of how God might use your home and my home for ministry and mission? Because one of the things that we believe is that God gives us a home so that we might use it as a tool for his glory and the good of others. That God gives us a home, not just so that we can enjoy it for ourselves, but so that we might use it as a tool for his glory and the good of others. And one of the big ways we do that is by opening up our doors and seeking to practice hospitality in our homes. And while hospitality is more than just inviting people into our homes, I'd say it's really any act where we open up our lives and welcome other people into them, a central part of hospitality has always been opening up our doors, inviting other people in, maybe sitting around a table for a meal and seeking to welcome them and get to know them. And I want to suggest, and see whether you agree with me on this or not, I want to suggest that hospitality, especially in that form, is in low supply 
in the Western world. That often we are more and more secluded from our neighbors. Not always, but it seems often we're more and more secluded from our neighbors. That, that we tend to view our homes as castles rather than as welcome centers. That we're prone to view other people who would stop by unannounced as an infringement on our time and privacy. And that we live in a time where loneliness has risen to the level of being called an epidemic. And some of those who are most lonely are those in our churches or those who live right next door to us. I think we have a lot we can learn from Christian brothers and sisters of different cultures, especially those in the global south, who, who tend to be far more intentional in practicing hospitality than we might be. I think we even have a lot to learn from Muslims across the globe who tend to prize hospitality more than us at times. And yet, most of all, most importantly, I think we have much that we can learn from the scriptures because we see the Bible emphasizing the importance and priority of hospitality. Hospitality is a really, really big deal when we come to the Bible. We, we can see it as a central theme of the storyline of the Bible, which we'll see this morning. We can see that throughout the Old Testament, there's all sorts of examples of hospitality, where people welcome others into their home or around a table for a meal. We, we can see that a lot of the ministry of Jesus happened in homes or around a table sharing a meal. This is why he got the reputation as being a friend of sinners who eats with sinners. We, we find that the early church was marked by opening up their homes and welcoming other people in. This is part of what contributed to the rapid spread of the gospel in the first century. And we, and we find three different authors in the New Testament, Paul, Peter, and the author of Hebrews, emphasizing the responsibility that Christians have to show hospitality to those both inside the church and outside the church. Paul says in Romans 12, seek to show hospitality. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, which is the main passage we'll look at this morning, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then the author of Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, and follows that up with, by, by that means some people have entertained angels unaware. It's clear from scripture that every single follower of Christ is called to practice and show hospitality. So this morning, as we look at the Bible together, we're, we're going to explore what, what does this call to hospitality involve? What, what's the motivation for why we should answer this call and seek to practice hospitality? What, what, what happens or what, what doors might be opened as we practice hospitality? And, and then ultimately also, what are the barriers that would stand in the way of us answering this call. So let's pray together, and then if you have your Bibles, we'll be reading in 1 Peter 4, just verses 7 through 11 in that chapter this morning. But let's pray together before we read. Father, we want to be the people that you have called us to be. And yet we know that we could never do that in our own power or in our own strength. And we know that you don't call us to do it in our own power or own strength. And so I pray this morning that you'd speak to us where we both see the type of people you want us to be, but also see the motivation, the power, the grace that you supply for us to obey you in this area of hospitality. And so please speak for your glory and for our good. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter, writing to the church, says to them, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to compare hospitality just for a moment to being like playing the game of chess. I guess you all are familiar with chess, even if you've never played chess. And you know in the game of chess that if you play it, every single person who plays has a common mindset or goal in that game. The goal ultimately being, how do I take the other person's king by putting him or her in checkmate? That's the goal, that's the mindset. And yet you also know people employ all sorts of different strategies and moves and plans for how they go about seeking to reach that goal, right? So one, thing, one person might do one thing, the other person might, there's all sorts of different ways you can do that. In, in the same way, there are all sorts of different acts we might do in seeking to show hospitality. And those acts might depend on your age, your stage of life, your resources, or, or how old you are, whatever else, your personality, whatever else it might be. And yet, I want to suggest there's this common mindset behind every act of hospitality that is driving those acts of hospitality. Whether it's welcoming someone into your home, into your school, into your friend group, into your church, into youth group, or wherever else it might be. And so what, what is that mindset, that common mindset behind hospitality? First, it involves that we see all that we have as being a gift from God. That we see everything we have. Brandon hit on this already this morning with the idea of our finances being a gift from God. And we, and we often apply verse 10 that we read in this passage to spiritual gifts, being the gifts that God has given us. But it also applies to every single good thing God has given us, including the home that we have. And it applies not just to our home as well, but our group of friends, our sports teams, our workplace, our local church, all that, as I said. All of it is a gift from God. This is part of the Christian worldview. That we don't have what we have because we deserve it, because we've earned it, or because we've paid for it ultimately. Rather, we have it because God gives it to us as a gift. And when he gives us gifts, he then asks us to be good stewards. Right? That's what we see in verse 11 of 1 Peter 4. To be good stewards, I think it's verse 10, to be managers of God's gifts by using them not just for ourselves, but also for his glory and the good of others. And one of the ways we seek to use our homes in that way is by practicing hospitality 
as we seek to welcome those who are unfamiliar into our lives and homes and treat them like family. That, that's the mindset behind hospitality, that we seek to welcome those who are unfamiliar into our lives and homes and treat them like family. Or, or another way to put that is, that's a definition of hospitality that I'm going to be using this morning. The, the word, if you look at verse 9, the, the word there for hospitality, both in this verse and in other places in the New Testament, is this Greek word phylloxenos, which literally means love of stranger or love for strangers. It, you, maybe you can even hear it in the word. The first part of that word being philo. Maybe you've heard that before, the idea of a Greek word for love. And the second part of that word being xeno which maybe you've heard before in the term xenophobia, right? Fear of strangers. Hospitality is the exact opposite of xenophobia. It's love of those who may be strangers. Now, we're going to talk especially about that in a couple weeks, the idea of hospitality or welcoming those who are strangers. But, But we need to see that hospitality is this love that's directed towards those who may be unfamiliar to us both within the church and outside of the church. And let me give two other people's definitions that I think are helpful and then give you an example of this type of hospitality in action. The first is a definition from Bethany Jenkins. She says, hospitality is both an attitude of the heart and a practice of the hand. It seeks to turn strangers into friends through acts of welcome and generosity. And then the second one comes from Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which I'll reference again later this morning. She says, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors family of God. Seeks to make those we don't know neighbors and neighbors family of God. It's treating someone who is outside our normal group of family and friends as though they were an insider. And let me give you an example of that in action. When my wife and I were dating, she uh, was invited to the wedding of a friend who lived in Indiana. And she wasn't just invited to the wedding, but she was actually going to be a part of the wedding. And so she had to go out several days in advance. And so I drove out with Bree to Indiana. I had never met this friend before or her future husband before. And so Brie was going to be staying at the friend's house, the bride's house, and I didn't know where I was going to stay, so I kind of planned out in advance, like, well, I'll take my tent along, there's a local state park close by, I'll just camp out at the state park. It was summer, this will be fun, this will be great. Well, as soon as we got there, we went to the groom's house, and upon meeting me, he invited me to stay in his apartment for the two nights leading up to his wedding. I had never met him before. He knew nothing about me, right? He didn't know if I was a psycho. He didn't know if I was weird. He didn't know if I was, he knew nothing and yet just said, hey, you're staying at my place. Not only that, but he also said, hey, you're going to come along to my bachelor party tonight with some of my closest friends. Like I just met the guy and he said, you're staying at my house and also you're coming with me to our bachelor party. He treated me as though I was one of his closest friends or his family members. And that situation rings in my mind because I'm always left thinking, would I have done the same? Would I have done the same? I don't know that I would have. 
And, and yet this is what hospitality does. It seeks to welcome those who are unfamiliar into our homes and families or into our homes and lives and treat them like family or friends. That, that's a challenging way to live. That's a really uncomfortable way to live at times. So where do we get the motivation to live in that way? As followers of Jesus, we're, we're not just called to ask, what are we supposed to do as followers of Christ? But also, why? Why are we supposed to live in this way? And as we answer the why question, we both find the motivation for why we obey Christ, but we also find what sets Christian hospitality apart and makes it distinct. So why should we show hospitality that seeks to welcome those who are unfamiliar into our lives and homes and treat them like family? I, I want to suggest three answers to that question, and they're all rooted in the first part of 1 Peter 4, 7. So you can look back at that verse if you have your Bible in front of you. Peter says there, the end is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What's he saying there? The end is at hand is a way of locating us as followers of Christ in the story we are a part of. It's a way of saying we are living in the last days of this story that God is writing. The last days being the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming when he returns. So the end is at hand. And being self-controlled or sober-minded is essentially a way of saying, hey, keep your head and think clearly. Keep your head and think clearly. And so Peter is essentially saying, remember the story that you and I are living in and think and live in accordance with it. Remember the story that we're a part of and think and live in accordance with that story. And the story that we are living in is a story that ultimately has God at the center of it. It's a story that's about him, not ultimately about us, though we're part of the story. And, and this is where we find that hospitality is a reflection of the God we love. That as we practice hospitality, it's a reflection of the God we love. The Bible tells a story that shows us our God is a God who loves to display his glory by showing hospitality. Think back to the very beginning of the story, creation. What does God do in creation? He creates a home and he fills it with good things so that then he can welcome humans into that home and they can live there with him. Anytime you or I invite someone over, cook a meal and clean up the house to prepare as they come over, we're reflecting in a small way what God did at creation when he made a home, filled it with good things, and invited people then to live in his home. But, but we know then the story is that humans rebelled and sinned against him. And so we became strangers and aliens and enemies. And so what, what did God do in response? Well, he pursued people in order to rescue them and make a home for them again. Right? This is what we find God doing in the Exodus with the Israelites. If we look at Exodus 6, 7 through 8, God tells the people there of Israel, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, 
who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land. God says, you want to know what type of God I am? I'll show you. I'm the God who rescues, and I'm the God who makes a home for you. And that's how I display my glory. And and this is what God is doing when he sends his son, Jesus, to rescue sinners. He comes and makes his home among us. And then he saves us through his life, death, and resurrection. And then what does he say as he gets ready to go back to his father? John 14, 2 and 3. In my father's house, home, are many rooms. If it were not so, what have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you see the storyline of the Bible? It's about a God who goes to great lengths displaying his glory by showing hospitality to sinners and welcoming them into his home and his family. And so anytime we also take action to show hospitality to others by welcoming them into our homes to treat them like family, we are reflecting the God who we know and love in those moments. And hospitality then is also an expression, an expression of the grace we've been shown. If you've trusted in Christ, you know that you're invited to be a part of his family. And so we are individual recipients of God's hospitality. This is what a famous verse, verses that you've heard before, I'm sure, in Ephesians 2 are getting at. Where they say, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What's that saying to every single one of us? We were outsiders. We were strangers. We didn't have a home with God. And yet God, because of his grace and by the blood of Christ, welcomes us into his home and his family. We were strangers who God now calls family. Do you know what it feels like to be a stranger who's welcomed in as family or friend. I I remember, I shared this a couple weeks ago, maybe more than a couple weeks ago, about my first day of high school. And I shared in relation to my brother at that time. But I remember my first day of high school when I was a ninth grader. I was scared going to high school because it was a brand new high school and I knew really no one at all very well. Vaguely knew a couple people, but really knew no one very well. And one of my biggest fears that morning was, where am I going to sit for lunch? Like, am I going to sit all alone? And that is a terrifying thought for a ninth grader. That will keep you up at night. And and so I go to that first day, and, and I remember getting to the period that was right before lunch. And I saw someone who I kind of vaguely knew. I'll never forget him coming over to me and saying, hey, do you have anyone to to sit with today? Hey, if you don't, why don't you come and you sit with me and my friends? And that's the table I ended up sitting at for the rest of that semester, and that's someone who became one of my best friends then. And as a ninth grader, that felt incredible, to be a stranger who's welcomed in to be friend and family in some ways. Side note, if there are middle schoolers or high schoolers in here, they're probably more in second service. You may not have a home that you can welcome other people into yet, 
but you do have a friend group probably. And one of the best ways you can show hospitality is by seeking to welcome other people into your friend group. This is a small picture of what God's done for us, where he takes strangers who have no hope and says, hey, you come be part of my family. And if we belong to God's family through faith in Christ, then we are recipients of his radical gospel hospitality. And so every time we seek to welcome someone who is unfamiliar into our lives and homes and treat them like family, we are displaying the gospel that we believe in. And thirdly, we're also living in expectation of the future we've been promised. Hospitality is an expectation of the future we've been promised. When Peter says the end is at hand, he's also talking about the goal of all history. What's the end or goal of all history of this story that God is writing? That all sorts of people from different backgrounds, different races, different personalities, unfamiliar, might be his family who enter into his home and gather around a table and feast with him for eternity. That's part of the picture we get in Revelation, but it's also part of the picture that Jesus gives us of what the kingdom of God is like in Luke chapter 14, which is a passage we're gonna look at more closely in a couple weeks. He compares the kingdom of God to being like a party that people are invited into. I love that picture. Because if you're not a follower of Christ from the outside looking in, you might have this perception of Christianity that it's just about trying really hard to be a good person and keep all the rules. And Jesus says, whoa, no, it's about a party that you're invited into where you know God and you're part of his family and you feast with him for all eternity. And every time we gather in a home, around a table, with hearts that are grateful to God, we actually take part in that kingdom right now and get a taste of what it's gonna be like in the future. When you invite someone over and you cook a meal for them and you think about what questions might I ask them as we sit around the table and you think about how might I make them feel welcomed into my home, what you and I are doing in that moment in one way is we're actually taking the future that we've been promised and we're bringing it into the present and we're getting a taste of it here and now, albeit very imperfectly. And as we do these things by opening up our homes, we also open up doors for God to do several things through us. The the open doors of hospitality. I wanna give two here to that, two suggestions for that. First, hospitality opens doors for the church to be strengthened. Hospitality opens doors for the church to be strengthened. How might Keystone be a stronger church in a year or two if the question, do you want to come over for dinner, was a common question that was heard among us? How might Keystone be a stronger church in a year or two if the question, hey, do you want to come over for dinner, was a more common question heard among us? We know that within the biological family, gathering around the table is a really big deal for meals that can have really positive benefits. If you've read into any of the research about that, you know that families who try to regularly gather around a table and have a meal together often have better communication, stronger relationships, better mental health, better physical health, and much more. 
Like the research shows, a family that gathers around the table, there's all sorts of benefits that flow from that. If that's true for the biological family, surely that would be true of the church family as well, right? So what, what, how might the church be strengthened as we gather in each other's homes or around each other's table? We might be better equipped to care for each other and minister to one another. It's interesting that after Paul tells the Roman church to seek to show hospitality, a couple verses right after that, he gives the famous call to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What better way to do that than as we're gathered around a table together, eating a meal together? We, we might also see that the church is more united together. R- right after what Paul said there, he then in verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. It's interesting to make a connection with that to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.8, where he says, let love abound in you, among you since love covers over a multitude of sins. What does that verse mean? Because we read that, and maybe the first thing is, so we're supposed to hide each other's sins and act like sin's not a big deal? What what does that mean? No, it means something more like we don't go around looking for faults in others, but we do go around seeking to think the best of other people. Criticism, assumptions of other people, accusations and gossip within the church thrive when we keep each other at a distance. But when we welcome each other in and we actually have a conversation with each other and we spend time with each other, those things tend to be replaced with compassion and love for one another. Not in such a way where we act as though sin is no big deal, but in such a way where the things that we might have assumed kind of fall to the wayside. Can I suggest just for a moment, if there's someone in Keystone Church who you or I find ourselves being overly critical of assuming the worst about, that might just be someone God wants us to have over to our house for dinner. Because in that moment, we might find they're actually a very different person than what I thought from a distance. And and we might as well see less people who struggle with feeling lonely in the church. Like if, if if we prioritize inviting each other over to our homes and into our lives, we might more and more see the church not just be a family in name only, but also a family in experience. Hospitality not only opens the doors for the church to be strengthened, but it also opens doors for reaching the lost. Rosario Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says this, and I'm kind of pulling from a couple different quotes here, but she says, practicing radically ordinary hospitality is your street credibility with your post-Christian neighbors. It's our street credibility with our post-Christian neighbors. We live in a post-Christian world that is sick and tired of hearing from Christians. But who could argue with mercy-driven hospitality? What a potential witness Christians have untapped and right at our fingertips. The world is watching, and rightly so. And our lack of visible and genuine hospitality practice both inside our community and outside is speaking louder than words right now. That's a really challenging quote for me to hear. But Peter is actually writing to a group of Christians that are likely struggling with street credibility with their neighbors. 
not because they live in a post-Christian world where people are sick and tired of hearing from them, but because they live in a pre-Christian world where people think they're weird or maybe even a threat. And so showing hospitality was actually one of the ways that these Christians could say, hey, here's what Christianity really is, and gain a hearing with their neighbors. So too, 2,000 years later, where people have all sorts of false assumptions about Christianity, showing hospitality is one of the ways that we can show, hey, here's what Christianity really is, and gain a hearing with our neighbors. And, and part of why Rosaria Butterfield is so passionate about this and wrote a book about it is because it's part of her story of how she came to faith. She was a lesbian and liberal arts professor at Syracuse in the late 1990s who wrote an article in a local newspaper criticizing the Promise Keepers movement of the late 1990s. And she said she received all sorts of both fan mail and all sorts of hate mail. And then she received one letter that she didn't really know what to do with. It was from a Christian couple named Ken and Floyd Smith who said, hey, we want to have you over to our home to have dinner with us. And she just went back and forth and back, like, do I go, do I not go? But she happened to be writing a book that she thought, well, this will be good research, so I'll go. And over the next two years, she was a regular guest at their table, week by week at times. And God used that to break down her resistance, not just to Christians who she saw as the enemy, but ultimately to break down her resistance to him and to save her and bring her into his family. Now, now I want to be careful here. Hospitality is not a type of bait and switch where we invite non-Christians to our home so that we can present them with this great business opportunity called Christianity. We need to be careful about that. Rather, hospitality is, I want to know you and love you because you're someone who's made in the image of God. And because you're someone who's made in the image of God, I want you to experience the type of community that God has designed us for. And because I love you, I also want you to come to know the God who made you and designed you for yourself, himself and gave up his son to save you. It's image bearer driven that we love those who are made in the image of God. And so ultimately we want them to come to know the God who gave up his son for them. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks when we talk about welcoming the stranger. But I mention it here because I just want to have us dream a little bit about what God might do as we seek to welcome up our homes. What, what might he do in our church? What might he do with our neighbors or coworkers who don't know Christ? But, but if we know that God calls us to practice hospitality, and hospitality is a really big deal, which I hope God uses this sermon to remind us of that, what keeps us from doing it many times? This gets to the barriers of hospitality. What are the things that would prevent us from opening our homes to welcome those who are unfamiliar into our homes and lives and treat them like family? In Romans 12, 13, Paul exhorts the Christians saying, seek to show hospitality. In other words, if we don't seek to do it, it won't happen. If we don't pursue it, it won't happen. And Hebrews 13, 2, the author says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. In other words, it, it's really easy for us to neglect it, to forget about it, to just kind of push it aside. Both of these authors are assuming there's barriers that stand in the way of us showing hospitality. So what, what are those barriers? There's probably more than two, but, but as I thought about that question, I thought of two really big ones, at least for me, maybe for you as well. Here's the first one, fear. Fear, plain and simple. We, fear, we might fear rejection. 
What if I invite them over and they shoot down my invitation and say no? What if they think I'm weird? Like who has strangers and people they don't know over their house in the 21st century? That's weird. Maybe you're running a cult. I don't know. What, what, we might fear what our kids will do. What are they going to think if my kid throws a fit or he farts at the table or he just behaves like a child? We, we might fear what the conversation will involve. Well, what do we, what do we talk about? What if it's awkward? What, what if I say something dumb or they say something offensive? Like hospitality takes courage. And it also takes intentionality because I think one of the second barriers, at least for me, is priorities. Hospitality is one of those things that isn't going to happen unless we prioritize it. Chad Ashby says, showing hospitality is a fight. Satan will convince you six ways to Sunday that you don't have time to share your table with others, whether scheduling issues, sports practices, fatigue, or money constraints. There will always be a reason not to invite others over for dinner. It takes courage and it takes intentionality to practice hospitality. And it's a courage and intentionality that's rooted in faith. A type of faith that believes God is sovereign. And so we can step out and take risks because he's sovereign over all those risks. A type of faith that believes that what matters is not ultimately the results, but whether or not we were willing to obey and a type of faith that believes when we step out, God supplies all the grace that we ultimately need. And as he does, and he helps us, and he strengthens us, and we see him come through for us, then we get the joy of thanking him and praising him. This is what 1 Peter 4.11 gets out when it says, let the one who serves, serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. We call out for the help, God gives the help, God gets the glory in every act of service, including hospitality. I, I wanna close this morning by just suggesting a couple ways for us to pursue hospitality in the coming year. I'll give you three main ones and then the fourth suggestion as well, but these are kind of the three main ones. Here's the first. Be willing to be host and guest. In other words, be willing to both extend invitations for hospitality and receive invitations of hospitality. And I think the latter might actually be the harder one for us sometimes because it puts us in a position of vulnerability where we aren't in control. And I don't know about you, but I really don't like being in control or not being in control. And yet to practice hospitality, we need people both who are going to at times invite and at times going to say, yes, I'll come over. Second, make a goal for 2024. Here's my suggestion, and it's what my wife and I are planning to do this week as well, so you can hold me accountable to this and ask me about it next week if you want. Come up with the amount of times that you want to have someone who is unfamiliar over to your home in 2024. Or maybe it's not in your home. Maybe you just want to, I'm going to get coffee with someone, or I'm going to go out to dinner, or if they have kids, we're going to have a play date together but come up with an amount of times that you would like to do this. I don't mean this to be legalistic. That's why I'm not giving you a number. Like pray, ask God, hey, what, what do you? But I do mean it in such a way where I think if we don't plan for this to happen, it doesn't happen. And so what, what's a number of times you're like, yeah, I want to invite someone who I don't know as well into my home for, for a meal or practice hospitality in some other ways. And then put dates on your calendar for the coming year. 
Maybe it's the second Wednesday of every month, or maybe it's, it, that would be 12 times, you don't have to do 12 times. Maybe, maybe it's whatever it is, you put the dates on there, and those are blocked off. And then over the year, fill in those dates with invitations. Because that kind of locks us into, okay, we're going to practice this, and we'll, we'll invite people over as those dates come along. And maybe one of those invitations is throughout this series, as you meet someone new, you ask, hey, hey can I get your phone number? Uh, I'd love to have you over to, for my house, to my house sometime for, for dinner if you're willing to do that. And then the next date on your calendar, you invite them over. Third, ask God for his help. We, we should pray asking God to give us the courage we so desperately need to practice hospitality, but then also pray asking that he would be at work in our own hearts and in the lives of other people as we practice hospitality. And, and then fourth, and this is more of just maybe a suggestion, consider reading The Gospel Comes with a House Key sometime this coming year by Rosario Butterfield. Uh, I think this book that God might use this book to shake up your world just in a good way. Uh, and so I have a free copy up here. If anyone wants to see me this morning, this is your copy, uh, but would love to have you consider reading that book. And in all of that, dream about what God might do. Like what might God do as we seek to practice hospitality, opening up our homes and lives to invite those who are unfamiliar in and treat them like family? What might he do in Keystone Church? What might he do in our neighborhoods or our schools or our workplaces? How might we get a front row seat to him displaying his glory as he works through us in 2024? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would give all the grace we need to do all that you call us to do. God, we know that we are weak and that when we uh, think about the practice of seeking to welcome others into our lives, there, there are all sorts of things we might think, well, I don't know if I can do that. And yet, God, I pray that you would remind us in those moments of all that you've done to welcome us into your family. Remind us of just all the hospitality you've given us through Christ and promise to give us, us, give us in the future. And God, I pray then through Christ, you would supply us with all the strength we need that we might become a more welcoming people so that ultimately your glory might dis be displayed and people might come to know Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.